You are listening to the Crown Rest Podcast, the audio experience for basketball official officials. Serve the game. Thanks for listening to episode 84 of the Crown Refs Podcast. This is Justin Bailey with Refs Corner. If you want to look good, feel good, and perform well while officiating your sport, shop Refs Corner gear at refscorner.com. Use discount code CROWNREFS at checkout for a custom discount on your order. In this edition of Game Notes, Paul got a chance to work with Josh Boltby, a temporary official from Lancaster, PA. They talked about continuing to get better and staying sharp through this basketball blackout. They discussed not bringing emotion from a previous play into the current one, when a coach requests an early timeout, and also recognizing when plays present options. This episode is also available to watch on the Crown Refs YouTube channel. Click the link in the show notes. We hope you enjoy and stay safe. Serve the game. So the three main things that that stood out, as indicated, were were some signals. You know, there's 13 of them, which I love the fact that I could give you a list specifically of things that I think you can sharpen because you just got a lot of ammo and and room for growth here with this. So this is this is good stuff. Don't look at it as a negative. Um, You know, there's times where I thought you could have held the whistle for sure. Kind of kind of got to slow yourself down, try to slow the play down try to lengthen it a lot of times we blow the whistle on contact or we make we make two errors we make two kind of errors poor early decisions meaning we're reactionary and we rush or blowing the whistle when we have a closed look so keep those two factors in your mind as kind of guidelines every time you blow the whistle especially on drives to the hole um and you're a little quick rotating and lead you're, you like to run over to the end line. I prefer a, um, a speed walk just because running, I just think, indicates that we're in a rush, which which just tells me a little bit more about you. Like you're mentally, you're a little bit in a rush throughout the game. These, this is just a small micro dot, and it's just my perception. But I just think when we rush little simple things, we're going to rush the hard things. Great. Some of those things that you just mentioned there are things that I got to find ways to implement. People have told me about them and I just, I'm struggling to implement some things if that makes sense. You know what I mean? It's like somebody says, don't rush. Well, you know, I need to find a way to slow myself down. I've been a player all my life. So everything I do is fast. Do you know what I mean? Sure. A lot different. It's great that you're a player because it's going to give you that feel for the game and it's going to help you anticipate where the play is going. But that's the last thing we have to do as officials is rush our decisions. We got to be slower than the game. I think that's a good line. Be slower than the play. You know, be slower than the contact. So it just it's a it's a top switch. It's at the very top of everything that you're trying to do. Slow down. Like that's, that's a pillar. That should be a pillar for you. And hopefully it'll trickle down into all the little things like rotating and rushing, like having a quick whistle, like popping, you know, putting a quick signal, an extra layer of signals on top of plays that we don't need. You know, that's where I think 
the trickle down effect of you just having that generalization of I need to slow everything down from my decision making to the way I present to the way I rotate. That's why you understand like it's a top of the filter kind of thing. Yeah. When, when you initially, you know, and maybe you didn't have this when you started officiating, but like I, I started out fast. And then when you try and slow down with everything, mentally did it feel extremely slow to you when it felt when it was actually right is that kind of what i'm should feel yeah yeah a lot of times even though even on film we think we're we're slow and then we watch the film and we're like actually i could have slowed down even more yeah so it'll just start to feel right it, it won't ever feel too slow because that's an easy problem to solve like just be a little bit more ready um but this is a hard thing to, to get. This is a hard thing to sink in it. Like it might take a year. It might take two years. It took me a couple of years. That was the main feedback I was getting at camps early on. You're rushing. Slow down. Slow down. I didn't know what it meant until you watch it on film. And then you actually see how, how fast you're moving and how, how much of the process that you're actually rushing through. So, my quick tip for this, super slow-mo. Just keep that word in your mind. Super slow-mo, super slow-mo. And the super slow-mo is going to make a fast person just slow. If you're if a fast person who wants to slow down, is still going to be a little bit more on this side of the, the meter, right? But if you if you scale it to the axe to the other extreme, or super slow-mo, just yo, know, you're in you're in lead just like this. I mean, you're not doing this, but mentally you're just like at ease, just at ease. You're not chasing anything. You're not going out and getting anything. You're getting what's there. You're getting what comes to you. Just want to take a quick break from the podcast to tell you about our new IPR service, which is the Individual Performance Report, one of the industry's first film review services. We break your game down into seven parts. You are now hearing the game notes section where we did a full timestamp review on some notable plays and loaded it with some instructional comments and questions. So hope you enjoy. Hit us up if you have any questions about the IPR. You can email me at crownrefs at gmail.com or hit us up on social. Now back to the podcast. Yep, I gotta, I gotta definitely find a way to implement that. And I, I, I see your point about in, you know, that if I can get that, that's gonna help a lot of things. And you know, I've, it, it starts with like you mentioned in your report is, you know, and or the video I think it was is that I throw my arm up. I've mm. long been that person that thought my arm stopped the clock, so I was always trying to time swinging my arm up with my whistle and at the end of the day clearly that's not the right thing to do because it looks ridiculous <laughs> it just looks a little forceful yeah it's too extreme too powerful it's just simply a raising of the hand yeah. Doot. like just try to simplify things Boop. this is something simple we're talking about but obviously What's simple to one person isn't simple to everybody. There's things that I'm I'm still trying to figure out too. So, you know, whether you're practicing in the mirror, take a whistle. Do it 10 times. And then you can start to build a little bit of that muscle memory. So then when you're in the game, it's just do not. Yeah. Getting animated here. No, it's, it's a good point though. You know, I often 
practice my preliminary signals in the mirror, but I don't always include the whole sequence yeah. of what I'm doing. And that's the thing officials need to differentiate. There's two kinds of times we blow the whistle on the spot, or I'm sorry, there's two, two times that we present on the spot and at the table. Most officials just practice at the table. At the table, I would liken to free throws. Nobody's guarding you. Anybody can go hit free throws. What do you do in the moment? What do you do when the game's hot? That's the most telling and revealing. So improving your table mechanics is easier than improving your on-the-spot on signals, you know? Yeah, it's a very good point. Um, so just to run through a couple plays you know, 21-10, you had a foul from trail. This is that play where B1 reaches around. A1 blows by B1. B1 reaches around. You know, it's that lazy defense. I used to play it. <laughs> that was the only time I'd get a steal, right? <laughs> but um, just a lot of times it results in incidental or marginal contact to like an arm. So did you think that this play caused a turnover? You know, I, I, I would say that, and this is no – Yes, I did, and part of my basketball history has always been, as a player, I hated when that play wasn't called. So, you know, when you become an official, you know, when I was dribbling the ball, and still to this day, I play in tons of men's leagues, but when I when I would dribble on the ball, if there was any contact to my back because the guy reached around, I'm like, it's never called because you can't see the contact to the back. You, you're, you can only see the contact to the arm. But I'm, I'm also learning the other side now, obviously, as an official, that, you know, there's some things that you got to give the opportunity to play through and really determine if the contact calls the the loose ball or the foul, you know, what caused the, the, the change of possession, for better, lack of a better term. So what I would say to that is you're bringing emotion from your playing days into the current play. Mm-hmm. You know, and I have a tendency to do that. Yeah. yeah. And that's why I say be emotionless out there. You know, as much as we want to kind of have an awareness of the temperature of the game and, you know, cataloging plays and all that, you know, just because A1 committed a hard foul in the first half, you know, it doesn't mean we're going to go blow the whistle when it's incorrect in the second half because he was like playing aggressive defense or something. You know what I'm trying to say? So like yeah. simplify it. Don't even make it that complex it's just one play at a time one play at a time 22 18 don't get crossed up you call the foul try not to all right so just use the same hand when you're calling a foul then you're pointing to the spot um i think you did this you raise the right hand then you cross the body okay. you know, it just looks sloppy it looks like a traffic cop yep it looks older than you are it's like an older i don't know it's just an older look i think so Simple fix. One hand. That's it. 2306. Quick whistle. I understand why you called this foul with the defender diving for a loose ball. You know, we want to have a heightened sense of awareness when the plays are, are by people's knees. You know, we want to be extra sensitive to that kind of contact and make sure we call a foul if anybody dives into somebody's legs or knees because it's a dangerous play. So that's the kind of play type we're talking about. But if you hold the whistle for a split second, you'll see nothing happens. It's just a play on. Yep. So this is a, you know, in my opinion, it's a no call. Add an extra second to this play and let it go. 
Um, but if you do have a whistle, I want to see you use that stay here signal. It's just a simple point to the ground. 24, 24, hit to the head. I don't see a hit to the arm on this play. Or it looks like more of a hit to the head. So anytime we have head contact, we should be vocalizing at the table. Hit to the head. What do you think? That that particular play at halftime we talked about, and you know I owned at halftime that you know I probably started the game with a little bit quick of a whistle, and that was a, if I recall correctly, that was a made bucket. You know, it was a good bucket, and I called a foul, if I if I recall the play correctly. And, you know, looking back on it, I wish I would have had a more patient whistle, a little slower, and let that one go, because that's what it was. It was kind of like upper body contact to the shoulder and head area. The arm didn't really hit anything. I would have let it play, counted the bucket, and gone the other way, if I would have been more patient. Patience. Crown Refs Podcast is brought to you by Need Tucks, the best way to keep your shirt or uniform tucked. If you're looking for that clean and professional look on the court, this is the best product for that. Go to neattucks.com and order yours today. Crown Refs and Need Tucks, serving the game. Let's talk about your charge. Really good call here. Just, you know, slow down your signals. Stop the clock. Go behind the head if that's how you want to do it. And then simple point, but just slow down each signal. This should be like one, two, three, not one, two, three. Yeah, I'm fast to begin with, but then when you get into the block charge play, I way overdo it just because, you know, everybody does that a little faster usually. If they're close calls, you come out faster. But I, then I have a tendency, like you said, to miss the stopping the clock or, you know, what I mean? just go with the hard punch or not go behind the head. You know, those. I, it's all about slowing down. I think a lot of these, like you said, well, if I can learn to slow down in general, I'll get it'll get better. It'll, my mechanics will even probably improve just by having more crisp, clean mechanics because I notice you know you know after watching your video and my videos that you know a lot of my preliminaries i have a tendency to like hunch over my shoulders or my arms down low and yeah yeah all things that i need to work on yeah and and i exaggerated that travel one i did yeah but you definitely presented a smaller version of that you know so like you're tall you're big be big all the time you're always standing up tall your posture should be like perfect be big. That's what I tell, you know, big referees. It's you guys have an advantage. You're tall, you're big, you're large, so you can present nothing but strength. It's like a big guy when he a player who when he's backing down in the post, what do they say? Don't bring the ball low cuz that's when the little point guard's going to come steal it. We can use a similar analogy with with big referees always presenting big and keeping your signals up. Now, all right. So when when we have options on plays, doesn't happen often but sometimes we have options right block charge 50 50 what did we just have on the other end okay this is so close i have options out of bounds play but there was contact what do i have i can go out of bounds and keep this and go the other way or you know i can call a foul because the foul needed to be called so understand when plays present options so i think on this play we had the option of just passing on the foul and going with the out-of-bounds play, I think that's a better 
decision for the flow of the game when we can, can kind of call an out-of-bounds over a foul. I, I agree 100%. Slowing it. If I would have slowed down, I, I probably would have done that. I probably came in so fast with the initial contact and didn't let the play develop and finish and, and see that I had an option there to, to not present a foul and go more with an out-of-bounds call. Yep, because basically what happened was you put the finish line on that play after the contact. You said, here's the finish line, play's over. So when you slow yourself down, you're going to say, okay, contact, I got it, processing, processing, out of bounds. Okay, I like that one better, out of bounds. The same with throwing my arm up there. When when I throw my arm up so fast, I'm already going open hand or palm so quick that I'm stuck. You know what I mean? So, you know, if I could just if I can just implement slowing down, I think that'll help in a lot of areas. I just got to find the way to implement that. And I've struggled with that. Now, as you know, I've been doing this 10 years and, you know, I've been probably told that for the past five years and I'm just struggling to implement it. 108 had a great double dribble call. You know, you can fumble, dribble and fumble, but you can't dribble, fumble and dribble and what happened on this play is a dribble fumble dribble double dribble so that was a good call thank you that was a good line though right easy simple to remember shout out to jeff clark yeah i've heard that one quite a bit yeah i mean just don't run to rotate just stop running yeah i'm you know i'm just be walking i'm still you know i say you know i'm Three-man experience on the, you know, I'll say the high school circuit. I do some, we have, around here, we have a couple uh, men's leagues that are higher end that do three-man. Good. Uh, on, in high school basketball, I've probably only been doing three-man three years. Okay. It took me a while to get there, and, you know, I'm still working on my rotations and when to rotate and my, just the whole process of how fast I do it and. So that will be something that you know, I had jotted down in in my notes to hit at the end here about rotation. Just that I, I struggle, and we could actually talk about it now if we're on that spot, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, you know, like this game in particular that I sent to you, one team was much smaller than the other team, and it was a lot of uh, perimeter play and a lot of outside shooting. The post play was all high post play. High post play when the ball was swinging around the top, the high post guy was going foul line to foul line extended. And, you know, I'm as the lead, I'm like, okay, when do I rotate on high post play that they are using, passing it in there, but nine times out of 10, it's just coming back out. So I'm like, do I even rotate at all? No. Okay. Feel for the game. Where's the play going? You were a player. You know what kind of set they're running. You know that if you wait two seconds, the ball's going to get reversed. So rotations have just a lot to do with feel for the play and feel for what the offense and the defense are doing. You know, you're watching what kind of defense the – you're watching what the defense is running, and you're also watching how the offense is, is moving the ball around. So it's okay to only have one, one official on the strong side, even though it's preferred – to have two, but we don't want to sacrifice and, and speed our process up yep. in order to be on the same side. 
couple small things, you know, hold the ball like a waiter. Yep. Always. You just look like a serviceman to the game of basketball. I don't know what else there is to say. I still see referees holding the ball. They're, they're hugging it at their stomach. Some are even holding it below their waist, which looks crazy. Some are holding it on their hip. It doesn't just doesn't look athletic. And I don't know if this is proper NFHS mechanics, but I'll ask the question. You know, like we're we're taught, like, you know, if there's a uh, timeout and you're holding the ball, that if the ball's like, say, we're in the front court and I'm on the end line, if the ball's staying here, it's supposed to be behind your back. If you're on the sideline, it's supposed to be on the side of your body that it's the ball's going. You know, that's kind of how we're taught here. I don't know if that's NFHS mechanics or not. It's just someone's theory. Okay. There's there's no there's no science to this. Okay. To holding the ball like awaiting a team to come inbound it. It's irrelevant. It's a hundred percent it's a million percent irrelevant to getting a play right. A lot of times, you know, these local high school board members are such sticklers for signals and mechanics, they lose sight of the more important things in the game, like getting the play right. And communicating and managing the game. A lot of these signals are secondary to those two main pillars. You know, it's just about kind of cleaning up our image and our presentation. But at the end of the day, it's not going to help you get the play right. It's not going to help you provide that great explanation for the coach when the game got hot. So, like, you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't listen to kind of those kind of theories like we're supposed to do this. No. Hold the ball up. It doesn't matter which hand. It doesn't matter how you're positioned. That's it. Yep. Um, you, were, you were standing with your arms crossed, too, one time. You looked bored. Just be, be mindful. Perception is everything. Someone's always watching. Camera's always running. This is just me nitpicking. Had nothing to do with the game. But, yep. you know, doesn't look good. 30-second timeout. We don't need to do this. Yep. 20. White 11 calls 30-second timeout. It's just like white 11 or white timeout, 30-second. And you can just hold it there for a second. You know, maybe two, one, two, whatever. See a lot of officials that are just shoulder tapping. So that's what I got from the game notes. Yep. Um, I mean, just scrolling through this report, it's pretty cool. I wish I would have got one of these things like five years ago. No, this is a great service. You're, I, I appreciate you doing this. Thank you. I'm, I, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying innovating, you know? Yeah. It's, it's been an industry that's been stagnant and stuck in the past for a long time and kind of antiquated. So it's nice to bring a certain freshness and newness to, to it, to the education side. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, you know, there's a lot of different things you can give people feedback on, but you nailed it on my mechanics because it really made me look at it in a different way. And I know mechanics and, and what you mentioned here at the beginning of this is slowing down. Those two things I think are probably the two biggest things that I really have to dial in on if I want to take the next step and, and, you know, go further with this and I love doing this, you know, so 
never thought when I played I'd be in this position where I'd be. <laughs> but I, I started doing it and I loved it. So I was like, you know, what, I'm going to stick with this and try and get good at it. Yeah, so, that's great. We'll see what happens. But listen, I, uh, you know, I admire your dedication to the craft and the fact that you wanted to do this report. You know, with, with me, you don't know me. I mean, obviously, you know my work, but. You know, I, like I'm just very appreciative and grateful of it. So thank you so much, Josh. You got any so, other questions? Yeah, I I, I just want to ask one or two other things here that I jotted down. And these are kind of specific things, you know, and they're not really easy answers. I just want to kind of see how you handle situations like this. And this has happened in numerous games where, you know, and it, I don't know. It could have happened with me being the person that screwed up the call, too. But I'm going to give you the example where my partner offers a timeout because he's standing right next by the right next to the coach offers a timeout. And the ball's in front of me way far away from him. And I clearly see that it's not possessed. It's loose. Mm -hmm. He thinks it's possessed. There's no real solution. Nope. So. In this particular game, it happened. I did nothing. My partner came over to me. He's like, he came over to me while I was standing where the ball was going to be inbounded. And he said, I think that was loose, wasn't it? And I said, yeah. But, like, I don't know what to do in that situation. You just, it, it, he's just got to live and die with it, you That's know. It. Yeah. That's it. Don't be emotional about it. You were right there. You had a good look. You passed. He came from left field to call it. It's on him. Okay. You know, coach wants an explanation. He's got to hustle over there and give an explanation to the coach. Um, if the coach asks you for an explanation, coach, you know, uh, I'm not going to speak about his calls. He obviously thought there was control, and he'll be over next possession to talk about it. Yep. That's we're a good not, way to handle it. We're not going to huddle up and say, you know, after he grants a timeout, you're not going to hustle in and say, partner, I'm 100% that he did not have team control. Let's go inadvertent whistle now. I don't know. I don't think we're going to do that. Yeah, I don't even know what you do inadvertent whistle. Then you're going to a jump ball. and. Well, only depends if team A was still in control. If this is off a shot, then if this is off a shot and we have a loose ball, then we're going to go to the, the arrow. But if team A has it, B1 deflects it, there's a scrum, timeout, timeout, team A's got it. Because it's still team control. Correct. I, I, I got you. Then the other question is along the similar lines, and it happened at the end of this game, is, you know, with like, I want to say like, don't quote me on the time, but there was like two seconds left in the game. My, you know, the defensive team on the foul shots needs a timeout as soon as they rebound the ball. The coach comes up to the official and says, hey, as soon as we catch it, we want a timeout. I've had this happen to me numerous times, you know, where they essentially call the timeout before the play even starts, you know what I mean? And in this particular case, at the end of the game, I don't even know if you noticed it, but the defense went up to grab the ball, did grab it, but before they even started to come down, the other team knocked it out of their hand, but my partner came so fast with the whistle for the timeout that the other team was livid because it all happened so quick and you never heard a timeout called at that exact moment. 
You know what I mean? When coaches put in an early request for a timeout, they're just giving you a heads up. They don't get to put in a pre-order of a timeout. They have to call it again. They have to request it again on site. So I always tell coaches, coach, I appreciate that. I'll be listening. Please call it again, though. The so only, the only time I do that is when it's the second shot of free throw. You know, coach, come and whisper to you, hey, timeout if he, if he makes this. If he makes it, no problem. Boop, timeout. But any other case, it's just a heads up. Gotcha. This was one of those two-second plays where, like, if he – if my partner waits, you know, you lose a second out of the two seconds, you know what I mean? Because the coach calls it, then you're whistling it, and it's like, eh. Yeah. But it is what it is, you know what I mean? What else are you going to do? I just thought I'd ask in that play because just so happened, before the player even started coming down with it, it was knocked out. Then we had people like, I didn't hear the timeout when he had control. And, yeah, I mean, so- it worked out. Yeah, basically, I'm going to approach that play, and I'm going to say, okay, coach wants a timeout if they gain control of the ball. I'll be looking and listening, but I'm still going to have to look over to him when he requests it out loud and be 100% that he called it and they have team control. Like, you still have to go through the whole process. Again, him putting a pre-order in for a timeout should not make us skip all the steps that we would normally have to do because then you're providing an unfair advantage to that team. So at the end of the day, likely there's at least a half second coming off that clock regardless. It's like you can't it'd be almost near impossible to give them the timeout in the immediate catch in the air, if that makes sense, because there's some process of, okay, making sure he truly has control, making sure I hear a timeout and then, blowing your whistle to call it. I'm not granting a timeout in the air if a player catches it in the air. Uh, uh, you could you could take that one and you could go explain it. More times than not, you just lay off that. You won't you won't okay. get in trouble. You'll get into you know you'll get into some stuff if you gotcha. start playing timeouts in the air. Then the only other question that I wanted to just kind of follow up with and, and just see if you know from a mechanics standpoint, as there's many things I'm going to try and implement whether it's slowing down whether it's specific preliminary signals when you were trying to improve things were you try were you getting that micro focused and trying to implement one thing at a time or were you trying to do multiple at the same time how did what was your process when you were trying to implement things i studied a lot of film i brought a cameraman around to filming it was, I had like 10 different people that filmed me from my wife to my neighbor, to my coworker, to my friend, to my former student. So I got, I accumulated a lot of film of myself early on. And I was just very particular about the way I looked and the way I presented. And I saw a lot of, you know, like cringeworthy moments on film that inspired me to address these things and improve them and clean everything up. So I was trying to do as much as I could at once. I wasn't saying, all right, I'm going to focus on improving this signal today. It was kind of like, all right, here are the five things that I need to work on today. That's what we're going to go do. So it was was watching that first film, recognizing all the errors, trying to go implement it and and do some mirror work in in the meantime and practice, you know, wherever at my house or whatever. 
and then going and working and then watching the game again and watching all those new improvements and then scratching off the list. All right, next. We like that. Next. This one we got to work on a little more. All right, let's take that into next game. So, I mean, you, you want to try to do as much as you can, as you can handle. Yeah. So, so essentially, you know, right now, the only film I get is during the season. You know, I don't take people to my AAU games, to my, you know, other games and get video, but it would definitely help because that's my part of my problem, I think, is, you know, by the end of the regular season, I'm dialed in on my mechanics when I get to district play or whatever, you know, I'm dialed in on my mechanics, but then it kind of fades over the summer, <laughs> come back and it's redialing in. Okay. Do you work at Spooky Nook? Yes. They have cameras, no? They do, but I don't know how to get the tape. Well, that's the, so then it's there for you. You just don't know how to do it. Yeah. So you gotta, you gotta, um, you know, when these, when these tournaments come in, hoop group, they all have film. I've been buying my film from camps for five years now. So like, I would recommend, you know, once this picks back up and summer ball and spring ball, spooky nook is big time for, for teams and tournaments. So there's a lot of cameramen in there. So you just got to do a little bit more investigative work on where to get the film and you'll have it. Well, they normally have like on the big tournaments, they have, you know, tripods at every court just mm -hmm. kind of sitting there unmanned and they're being taped. And if they fall over, somebody comes by and cleans it up. So I know they have it. I just don't, I never know if I have to go through Spooky Nook or a lot of people rent Spooky Nook. Like I think Hoop Group a lot of times rent Spooky Nook and they manage all the whole program. But I got to look into that. That's a you never know. You never know because you, you've never asked. Yep. You're right. So. That's, that's, you know, I hear that. I'm not saying you're making excuses, but like, I hear that a lot. Oh, I have no access to film. I don't know where to get my film in 2020. That answer doesn't work for me anymore because everybody's filming their games. Now you just got to know the right person. Yeah, you're right. Good stuff, man. Very good. This, this helps get me a lot better too. So I appreciate that. I appreciate you taking the time. This one-on-one -on -one interaction really helps me, and I appreciate it. Don't be surprised if a year from now I'm getting another one done just to see. Right. I love it. What you say. You got me for life, bro. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Crown Refs Podcast. Serve the game.